You are listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. Today, I want you to turn to somebody who says it's going to be a little different today. Just talk to them right now. Tell them. They're like, oh boy, what's that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like today it's important for us to learn. Is that okay with everybody today? We're going to learn today? Uh, because I feel like there is something that we have been remiss as the church to really understand fully about what God is doing. And he, let me give you just the title of message. Maybe it'll teach you a little bit where we're going here. Title message is, We Wrestle Not Against Flesh and Blood. Spiritual Warfare 101. Now, my, my alternative title was, What in Hell is Going On? But I was told not to say that, so I won't do that one. <laughs> Whether you want to admit it or not, church, we are in a war. Now, this is not a war that we see, but it's a war that we are in that is in a supernatural place. And I want us to know that many of us in this room, including myself, we have been either taught wrong theology or there is this kind of weird thing that's crept into the church with angels and demons. We, we kind of have this weird understanding. And so many times the church in general just says, let's not even go there. But today we're going to go there because I want you to understand how important it is to know what's happening in the supernatural. In order to live victorious, we have to acknowledge the war around us. Let me say it this way. You can't win a battle you don't know even exists. So you got to get understanding. So turn your Bibles to Revelations 12. And this is going to be kind of, we're going to jump around a little bit, but I'm going to show you scripture because I want you to understand that everything that we operate from should be from a place of understanding in scripture. And there's things that we have understanding and maybe revelation that you've gotten, but it should be backed up by the word of God. Amen? Amen. So Revelations 12, this is the revelation of Jesus given to the disciple John. He was on the island of Patmos. He has this amazing revelation. Many of it is prophetic, but then some of it is not just for the future, but also he's seeing back into the past. How many know that God is no respecter of time? So when God shows you something, it's outside the norm of our timeline. So John is having this revelation. He's trying to write it all down, trying to figure out what am I seeing? How do I describe this? And in Revelation 12, verse 7, it says, Now a war rose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you on earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Jump down to verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman who went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. You are in that war today. 
You are that offspring. There's a lot of crazy stuff happening in the unforeseen world. Things that we don't see, they still affect us. Part of this origin story I've given you, I'm going to launch off to, also begins in Genesis, the very beginning of the book of the Bible. I'm going to put it up there for you to see it. Genesis 3, verse 15. I will put enmity. This is Jesus. This is God speaking to the three in the garden. It was the serpent, Adam, and Eve. He says to the serpent, I will put enmity, deep-rooted hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring, the enemy's offspring, and her offspring, humanity. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. How many know that a blow to the head is much more deadly than a blow to the heel? We win this battle. Now, all throughout Scripture, there is this understanding of this war. I want to talk to you first about the holy forces. This is the battle of the offspring, the holy forces. Now, for many of us, we have this thought that angels look so, sort of like that. They got little little harp, and they play, and they got little chubby cheeks, and oh, they're so cute. That is probably not a very good representation of an angel. Angel means messenger, and they were called morning stars in the book of Job. Messenger in Daniel 4 and also watchers in Daniel 4. They're military hosts or angel armies in 1 Samuel 17. Matthew twenty two thirty 30 says they can't marry. But let me just say this. Angels aren't made in the image of God. You are. So there's something interesting about you compared to the angels. That's why scripture says don't worship angels. I know that there is this hierarchy of angels. In fact, we know two that stand out or named quite a bit, Gabriel and Michael. They are archangels. Now, when Gabriel and Michael come to visit you, something big is getting ready to happen. They're going to slice and dice. They ain't no, they just, just delivering a message. We're getting it on. <laughs> In a battle sense. Scripture does talk about there are guardian angels. Do we all have one? Scripture does not say that. But we know there are angels that have been sent to guard humanity. There's also these created beings. They're not angels. Let me just say angels are just a group of created beings. There are the cherubim and the seraphim. Now, they are listed in Isaiah. Now, the cherubim, they stand guard between heaven and earth. They were the created beings that God positioned between the garden. When Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they were the ones standing there with these swords of fire protecting the entrance. There's also, they've also been placed on the Ark of the Covenant, which was representing of the presence of God. Those were the two that had the, the wings touching one another, and that's where God's throne would have been established. Many times when you hear of the cherubim, there's the throne room of God. They're in the throne room worshiping God. We can experience these kind of angelic created beings in the natural. Hebrews 13, 2 says this, You do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You may have been in the presence of angels without even knowing it. Maybe he was at Walmart with you. <laughs> Maybe he was at Target with you. <laughs> they don't just hang out. They usually have an assignment. <laughs> There's so many appearances throughout the Word of God where they showed up. 
Lot saw them when he was when the God was getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent angels to talk to him. Jacob saw a ladder that as angels angels were going up and down in Genesis 28. Daniel is full of descriptions of angels. Peter was broken out of prison in Acts 12 by an angel. And of course, Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds had an encounter with angels. I want to let you know that many times we entertain them, as Scripture says, without even knowing it. They're among us. And there is this hierarchy of created beings in heaven. Now, Scripture talks about this in a whole way, and maybe you never even heard of this. I want to share with you something today, that there are there is this thing called the divine council or the sons of God. It's in Scripture. I'm going to show you a couple of occurrences where this happens. This divine council speaks of a gathering of a group of beings created by God to help oversee God's plan. Psalms 28.1 says, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment. This doesn't say that there are other gods because he is the one true living God, but these are created sons of God. This isn't Jesus. Now, Again, we have to look at this through a different lens. Western Christianity has got this all messed up. We don't realize that God has created beings in his presence, and they all serve a certain function and purpose, and none of them are on the level of God. God created everything. So don't get this twisted. There isn't like some God that's fighting him. Even the devil is not on the same level as who God is. God has created everything. And we see this in 1 Kings 22. God brings the divine council or the sons of God together, and he asks them, he says, how are we going to deal with this King Ahab, 1 Kings 22? One of the spirits in this divine council says, you know what, I, I have an idea. I'll entice King Ahab by being a lying spirit to the mouth of his prophets. God says, go ahead, take care of that. So it's almost like he's up there and he's sending these beings into different places of authority. You take care of this. What do you think about, okay, you're on assignment here. It's almost the the central place of organization in God's heaven. In the book of Job, we see it again. First Job 1, verse 6. It says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. I don't know how he got in there, but uh, Scripture says that he kind of comes back and forth. And he said, hey, 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 God, I, I was walking to and fro, and I, I saw this guy, Job, and you can read the rest of Scripture. God says, you know, check out Job, and of course, Job, read the book. It's a good book. But the reality is it starts in this divine counsel. Now, Satan comes in, and that leads me to the opposite force, the evil forces, the battle of the offspring. Again, sometimes we look at these pictures and we look at, we think the devil looks like this. I want to share with you in scripture what he really comes to do. The word Satan in the Hebrew means adversary. It's not necessarily his name as it is what he does. He comes against you. He's your adversary. Lucifer means light bearer. Why would it mean light bearer? Because Lucifer, his name at the moment when he was in heaven was that he was a bearer of light. If you don't know this, I I hope I'm spurring your interest on for you to go deeper in the word. Some of you may be like, this is all new to me. Good. Get excited for the word. Get hungry for the word. Lucifer was in heaven. He was one of the good guys at one moment. He was bearing light. Even scripture talks about that sound. Worship was emulating from him. Then he, he, he got this notion that, man, the way I worship God, what if they worship me? 
Of course, that was the beginning of the fall. That's where scripture talks about this. In fact, these also goes by the name Beelzebub, prince of demons. And in Revelations 12, 4, this is the only occurrence in the Bible where we see that he took these, we, we, we know that he took, he took angels with him, but in Revelation 12, 4, it says his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven. This is where we get our understanding that he took a third of the angels with him. And they became, and he became the prince of demons. Now, this is interesting and important to the understanding of a Christian that we know about what took place in heaven because this affects what's happening on earth. In fact, these fallen angels, the devil, when he fell, when he came out of alignment with heaven, he came down, and this is what caused the flood. Let me explain to you what took place. In Genesis 6, God speaks about what's happening on earth, and he sees this great destruction and evil that's going on. It says, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, there it is, the divine council, members of the divine council saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as wives any they chose. And the Lord said to them, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the Son of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. And these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Turn to somebody that says, it's getting weird right now. Just tell them right now. So it's getting weird. It's, uh, I don't remember this. And, and this was not in children's church when I was growing up. It sounds more like Lord of the Rings, Pastor Mark. What's happening here? Let me explain to you what's taking place here. See, this is when the enemy fell to the earth and he took these created beings with him. There's a distortion that takes place. I don't know how all of this took place. <laughs> all I know is, is that these demonic creatures were now with these human women, and they were creating this thing called the Nephilim. What is the Nephilim? These are giants or mighty men. That's what the word means. They have superhuman strength and size. Scripture talks about them. That's why it says they were mighty men of old. Some kind of abomination created by fallen sons of God and human Women, clearly in direct rebellion against God, and they were part of the reason why the flood took place. In fact, this is the reason why in Scripture says, God says, I can't let my spirit abide in this kind of form. In fact, before all this took place, we were living to be in our 900s. How many know that, that that's a little old, man? I don't know. So like when you're like rolling up to 450 years old, you're just a spring chicken. You know, you just midlife crisis, 450. You know what I mean? Buying a, buying a Lamborghini at 450, driving down the road, 900 years old. But God said, listen, if we're going to do this, I'm, I'm now going to limit the life to 120 years old. These Nephilim messed everything up. Now, here's the deal. They're all throughout Scripture. I'm going to show you in the Old Testament where they appear again. In Genesis 10, it talks about the Tower of Babel. Am I boring anybody here today? Okay. The Tower of Babel, we know about the Tower of Babel was created that humans could be like God. Let me explain to you what was taking place. There was a man named Nimrod. He was the leader in the Bible. He's the great-grandson of Noah through the line of Ham and Cush. Nimrod is described as the first of the mighty men to appear on earth after the great flood. 
He was a man of physical strength and possibly very giant-like. You could see why people were wanted to be led by him. He established many cities on the earth, including, look at these two cities, Babel and Nineveh. According to the historian Josephus, many of you know who Josephus is. He was a man that wrote, not in the Bible, but he wrote historical context that lines up with the Bible. He said this, that Nimrod essentially built the tower, not so he could be like God, but that he could, if God ever tries to flood the earth again, we will have a way to avoid his wrath. In fact, he says this, I will avenge God if he tries to destroy us like he did our forefathers. You can see that here we go. There is this battle between this kingdom of darkness and this kingdom of God. In fact, Moses writes about this particular occurrence, the Tower of Babel, in Deuteronomy 32. This is when God gives over the kingdoms of this world to princes and principalities and powers. It says, when the Most High gave to the nation their inheritance, when he divided mankind at the Tower of Babel, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of what? The sons of God. There they are. But the Lord's portion is his people. Look at this. Jacob, his allotted heritage. What he's saying is, is God saw the evil in man's heart. He said, if you want to try to be like me, if that's what you want to do, I'm now giving you over to your sin. I'm allowing you to do, in fact, he's giving over the cities. Now, th this is very important to understand because many times we forget that we, we fight against principalities and powers and rulers. There's not people, they're demonic presence. They're authorities behind the people. And they appear again in Numbers 13. Moses sends the 12 spies into the land. Check out the promised land. This was promised for us. Come back and give us a report. They come back and they say this. They say the land through which we had gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Pay attention here. And all the people we saw in it are of what? Great height. And they saw the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. In history, from this moment on, we see these giants appearing. Many of you know a famous giant named what? Goliath. Now, let me explain to you what's happening here. The devil is trying to battle and destroy the people of God. Let, let me show you a chart here. This is a chart that shows a little bit about what we've seen over the course of history. Now, this, this, this skeleton on the far right is a 36-foot skeleton. Now, they said that they found this between 200 and 600 A.D. at Carthanius, uncovered two of this size. So they actually found the bones of someone that would be somewhere around 36 feet tall. The next one is 25 feet tall. These are bones that people are excavating out of the ground. I don't know, this sounds a lot like scripture, doesn't it? It's interesting that Goliath is all the way over there at 11 feet. Now, some people argue whether he was 9 feet or 11 feet. Either way, this was not KD from the Nets. This is not Kevin Durant. This is, not a, this is somebody of extraordinary height. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to understand that when the Israelites saw the promised land, it wasn't just a bunch of people with big muscles somewhere around 8 feet tall. These could have very well have been 25 to 35 feet giants of crazy strength. All of a sudden now, history starts to make sense. 
You see why the Israelites were so easy to start worshiping the gods of their enemies. Because they were massive. They saw the power. Let me even say this. Greek mythology could have came from this. All these things we read about. See, the enemy wants you to pretend like it never really happened. That's just stories. I don't know. It's in the Bible. I just gave you scripture. This is not some charismania thing. <laughs> These are historians, theologians, seeing there was something going on. In fact, I'll even take it a step further. In the book of Exodus, Israel is always against somebody else. People of God are always fighting someone. And in the book of Exodus, it talks about the Israelites being under bondage under who? Pharaoh. And if you read through history of Egypt, Pharaoh was godlike. He could have very well been someone like this, of extraordinary height and power, that the whole nation would follow him. In fact, this is how deceitful the enemy is. As Moses came before Pharaoh and said, let my people go, you know the story, they performed miracles. And what happened? The counterfeit miracles would take place. He would do a miracle from God, and the enemy would do a counterfeit miracle. There's this back and forth constantly, because I want you to know that this is how the enemy wants to fight. He wants you to be so enamored with the counterfeit as opposed to the real created, true nature of who God is. You can't read the Bible without acknowledging all the supernatural activity. This is just a piece of it. I hope you're drinking from a fire hose today, get you excited to go back and say, I want to learn more. The devil has been in direct opposition to God's people all throughout history. He continually tries to counterfeit what only God can create. He has limited power that has been given to him just for a time. Let me just say this to you right now. He don't have anything that God has not allowed him to have. Humanity has glimpses into the supernatural realm from time to time. I know that there's people in this room that have seen into the supernatural. I have seen into this. I remember as a kid sleeping in my bed. Twin bed, kind of kind of just sleeping there, and I felt something in my room as a kid. You know, you're like, oh, is it the boogeyman under my bed? What's going on? And I remember looking up, and at the edge of my bed, I saw into the supernatural some being that was massive in my room. And I remember being nervous because I'm seeing something in the supernatural, but there was something of peace in my heart to know that it was not demonic. I was seeing angelic activity. When I was a real little baby, I used to deal with earaches, cry, cry, cry. I was a good kid, though, but I cried. It was, it was not one of my fault. It wasn't, I was just a good kid. I was just going through things. And, 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 and so, so I remember, I don't remember, but I was told that my dad said that they were really concerned for me. And one night as they were just lying awake at night, he saw outside of his door a, a, a presence of something moving past the entry of the door. And he knew in his moment that this was an angel that was assigned to watch over me. And in fact, in his spirit, he knew there was peace, and God told him the name of the angel. For years, like I said, Dad, what was the name? He goes, I forgot. I was like, of all things to forget. <laughs> like, man, you shouldn't have forgot his name. And I remember years later, my dad said, God told me, he reminded me who, what his name was. His name was Ira. And I was like, Ira? Man, that ain't a cool name. And I was like, Gladius or something, man. You know, something, and, and, and of course the Holy Spirit's going, little funny guy, go check out what Ira means. Guess what the name Ira means? It means watchful. Come to life. So what God was doing is he's telling my parents, I got your son. I have assigned angels to watch over him. Some of you know my story, my testimony. I shouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the angels taking care of me. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. In the New Testament, if 
Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers. Now, this is making sense now. Against authorities. Come on now. Against cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. See, what took place in the Old Testament has now changed in the New. It's not these giants overtaking us. It's no longer men of renown or giants with super strength, but it's leaders of nations, false religions, even industries of influencing, carrying the same demonic presence. See, we have the Bible today. So if some 36-foot giant walked in, we go, hmm, I think something's wrong with this dude. He may not be from the good side. See, we, we understand these things. So the enemy has to change his tactics. So what does he do? He is still at war against us, his people. I want you to know you've been grafted into the lineage, into the heritage of God. You, as whether you're Gentile or Jew, you've now been grafted into the vine. So you're now part of his offspring. So the moment that you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the enemy is like, I'm after you now. And listen, he's still working it in our times, but in a different way. He uses things like abortion so he can destroy the seed. What does he do? He's, he's destroying the seed of God. There is no way that as a Christian, we should not be opposed to abortion. It's the death of God's children. What else does he do? Oh, there's a thing now called transgender surgery. What is it going to do in the future? It's going to stop people from being able to have kids. What is the enemy trying to do? He's trying to stop the lineage of your life. He's been killing people all throughout history. There's murder. There's lawlessness. There's racism. There's injustice. God, the enemy's like, if I can get them pitted against one another, I don't even have to do much work here. Oh, then there's fatherlessness. You know, the enemy's against the family. He wants to destroy the family. He wants to separate through divorce. He wants to separate through infidelity. He wants kids to be raised up without a father speaking life over them. But also, Satan is hiding in plain sight. He's in movies. Oh, one of the most selling genres of movies right now is horror movies. People go see it, and then they come to us and they go, Pastor Mark, could you pray? I have nightmares. <laughs> yeah, of course you are. Stupid. Just stop doing it. But isn't it interesting how they make it so palatable and exciting and, and, you know, like Stranger Things, let's watch it. Oh, I just offended half of you. That's okay. I'm going to help you not have demonic attack against your life. If you can't, listen, if you can't discern when the enemy's on something, because he does it through music. He does it through social media. Come on, church, listen, I'm preaching a message that most Christians don't even know. You're looking at me going, where is he getting this stuff? It's in the Bible. We've not been taught this for a reason. The enemy doesn't want you to know his tactics. I want to expose his tactics so you are no longer prone to them. So when we open up those gates, when we go to those movies, we listen to these music, we, we open ourselves up. Listen, every time they find a guy or a kid that goes in and shoots up a school, when they're able to sit down, what happened? I heard a voice. Of course you did. It's demonic. I mean, what is the most innocent thing you could, children. 
And here we are in a nation where our schools are getting shot up and we wonder, what should we do? What should we do? We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to go before the Lord and say, God, we rebuke every assignment. When I drop my kids off at public school, I pray over that school every day. In Jesus' name, I commission angels to protect this school. I put assignment into teachers that love Jesus. The kids praying in the spirit in the hallways. This is the kind of authority you've been given. And we celebrate occult rituals and practices as people. We do things like Ouija boards for fun. We celebrate events like Halloween. Well, I should have started with that. I didn't know that was a, a crowd winner. Listen, if I got to drive by your house and you have a hanging witch and a demon and a warlock stirring a pot with little kids, or I've seen this. Something's not right. You think that's fun? That's your favorite holiday of the year? I'm trying to offend you if this is hitting you because something's not right. Darkness should not be celebrated. When I drive by that, as someone who's been in deliverance sessions with people and have seen manifestations of the demonic, someone who's actually casted out demons and talked to them face to face, it's not something to play with. And I'm getting fired up because I'm tired of the church walking around, doing things like the world, and then wondering why we don't have any authority. Because we don't know what we're doing. We give him, listen to me, we give him legal right every time we operate in these places. When you look at porn, you give him legal right. That's why I'm so adamant that the church has got to rise up. You want to solve all the issues of the day? We got to first know who we are. We are in war. And it may not be a 36-foot giant coming to your house, but it may be coming through your internet in the form of pornography. It may be in the way of the songs and the, the things that you open up when you click on the TV on Netflix. It's those things that you allow. And your kids are having nightmares up in their room and you're sitting down there at 10 o'clock watching some show. You're allowing the spirit to come in. You're saying, yes, you're welcome in my home. <laughs> Depression, anxiety, fear. These are all byproducts of things that we've allowed. And you say, well, I didn't allow this. No, but it could be a generational curse. It could be something you, fear is not in the kingdom. So if we are operating in fear, we are allowing something into our heart, into our spirit that the enemy wants you to have victory over. I remember we were, <laughs> our kids, our youth were going to camp this year and, and, uh, and so they, they invite me to go. We, we do a camp with a bunch of churches like Bethel and others, and they invite your pastor to come on Thursday night when we do deliverance and healing. <laughs> like, I've become the deliverance guy, you know? So here he comes. He's going to get rid of pornography and all this other stuff. And I remember hearing about the night before, Wednesday night. I was like, what happened Wednesday night? And they said, man, things started manifesting. Kids started talking and different things. And some of you parents are like, whoa, what's going on? And it was just in the presence of God. It was, Will, Pastor Will, I think you were even there. It was just the presence of God. All of a sudden, things started happening. And because we have such educated and loving leadership, they took that moment and said, God is doing something here, and we're not going to move past this. And I remember our leaders in, in, our, in our youth, some of our young, they were like, what are we doing? What do we do? And I remember we, 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 they didn't understand the supernatural. Sometimes we think as kids, like, we, we can't go there. It's going to scare them. Listen, they're seeing it, whether you want to know it or not, parents. So we began to talk to them about possession and oppression. 
My understanding of this, and I've studied this and I've talked about it for a long time, is that possession is when somebody is demon-possessed. That's when somebody talks, and some of you have experienced this. This is not fake, guys. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm tuning them out. This is scaring me. I don't want to hear it. It's real. It's real. I can't tell you how many times I've seen, looked into somebody's eyes, and actually knew that I wasn't talking to a person. I've heard those voices. I've seen them come after me, like, like trying to intimidate me. And it's Jesus, man. We talked about it. Speak Jesus. Speak Jesus. That's all you got to do. But, but, but let me say this. My understanding and other people that I know believe that you cannot be possessed if you're full of Jesus. You can't have the kingdom of God. God is not like limited. Oh, let me make some room for Satan in here. No, no. He, you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He is your Lord and Savior. But you can be oppressed. And oppression comes in the form of what? Anger, bitterness, resentment. Come on, unforgiveness, selfish ambition. This sounds a lot like what Paul wrote about, doesn't it? And these things control us because we allow it to, because we say things like, well, you know, I'm just angry because, you know, I'm just passionate because I'm Italian. We make excuses for what we do. Well, you, you would have unforgiveness. You, 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 I'm not going to forgive my dad. If you only knew what he did to me, I'll never forgive him. That's unforgiveness. Scripture talks about that very heavily. As you allow these things that seem so innocent to control your life, you are now in oppression to the enemy. And that's why some of you go, I don't know why, I don't want to do this, but I do it. It's because you got to break those strongholds off your life. Pay attention, pay attention. I don't want you to miss this. Because I want you to see that today there's some of you in this room, God wants you to be completely made free. That's why scripture says, who the son sets free is free indeed. You don't have to deal with the stuff of your past. You are not a sum of your mistakes. Listen, you went through it. You have been abused. You have been hurt. Whatever that is, that doesn't deny that it took place, but God can give you the victory over it. And when you continue to allow it to control you, you give yourself over to being oppressed by the devil. And I want the church to be made free and to be made whole. So over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about these certain areas of attachment that creep into the church. Because listen, I love the church too much to sit back and let people get hurt. And you think you're getting hurt? Listen, you think you're getting hurt by the church? You're getting hurt by people who are under oppression. Come on, that's a good word, saying I just I, I'm I'm not saying I said it. I, the Holy Spirit just said it. I didn't make that up. There's people in this room right now. You're going. There's something that He's saying. Speak into my spirit right now, because it's the Holy Spirit saying you can be free. Why did I go through all this history? Because I wanted you to see that this battle that you're going through is not unique to you. It's been going on in the heavenly since the beginning of time. But here's good news. You want some good news? <laughs> we win. No, no, no. This is not even a battle that is fair. This is a battle that has already been won before we step on the field. In fact, many times, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. This is what scripture says. But you're actually fighting the battle in your mind. Our biggest battle is not fist or with weapons, but it's in our mind. The enemy knows, I want you to hear me now, listen to me. The enemy knows that the power that we hold, so his objective 
is to cloud our thinking and remove God from our life. If we allow ourselves to operate under his control, he can then utilize the weapons and the authority that you've been given for his purpose that he does not possess. You have been given power. It says life and death is in the power of the tongue. The enemy does not have the power that you have. So when you use your words in oppression by the enemy, I'll never be this. I'll never amount to this. I guess I'll always be stupid. I'm not good enough. I'm not. When you use them, you create life and death around you. And so the enemy wants to cloud your mind so that you spew negative things out of your mouth. As you spew it, you create things in the atmosphere and the devil doesn't have to do anything but go, there you go. Keep saying it. Keep talking about your mom. Keep talking about your spouse, how he'll never be better husband. You'll never have a good marriage. I guess I should just look outside and look for someone else. He loves when you talk talk like that because you then help him to defeat you. But guess what? The power of God is also in your tongue. So when you speak life over your marriage, when you speak life over your children, when you command darkness to flee out of the city of Spring Hill and you set up a promise and say, God, you promised that you would give us the cities where our feet tread. And we command right now every evil principality to be expelled out of this city. I command all the darkness over Nashville where it's a high sex trafficked place. I command right now life to be brought forth that you would expose darkness and free these women, free these kids in Jesus' name. As you begin to do that, you begin to see things happen in the atmosphere and it manifests in the natural. That is the authority that we have. So you're not depressed. You're not anxious. That's why scripture says, be anxious for nothing, but with everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, make your request known to God. You have issues, present it to God. We have a spiritual inheritance, church. Again, God is in a whole class of his own. There's no created being that's even on the same level as him. But here's the interesting thing. He chose to create you and me in his image and his likeness to represent his kingdom. Oh man, I hope I hope I kicked you today in a good way, in a good way, not in a bad way. Just kind of kicked you a little bit to go, come on, get to the fight, get to the front lines, command the things that you have authority over. In Jesus' name, speak life. So I'm gonna read some scripture that you probably know, but maybe you'll see it through a different lens now that I've showed you and exposed to you what's happening around you. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, all authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, what? I ain't going nowhere. See, what happened in Matthew 20, he said, I have all authority and I've given it to you, so now go. You don't have to be fearful. Oh, Luke 10, 19. Look what it says here. Behold, I've given you. Turn to somebody and said next to you. That's you. You. I've been given you. You. I gave you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. You don't have to be fearful of those voices. God has defeated those voices. Come on. James 4, 7 says this. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil. What? Resist the devil and what? Come on, say with authority. He will what? He will flee from you. You have authority to command him to leave. 
get out of my house, get out of my city, get out of these schools, get out of the places where I'm at, get out of my work environment, get out of my nation. You better settle down. You better settle down. Don't do that to me, Pastor Will. We ain't got another service, so we could go there too. You know what I'm saying? Let me give you another scripture. I feel like you're getting this today. Mark 16, 17, 18 says, These signs will accompany those who believe. <laughs> Woo! The devil can't do the signs that he wants to do. You can do greater things than he can do. He's so envious and jealous of you. He hates the very essence of you. He hates that you were created in God's image. Every time he sees you, he's reminded that he will never be able to beat you. These signs will accompany you, church. In my name, you will cast out demons. You will speak in new tongues. You will pick up serpents with your hands. You will drink, if you drink deadly poison for some reason, they ain't going to hurt you. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You have been given the authority. Ah. <sighs> I want the church to stop walking around like we lost the game. A couple weeks ago, I talked to you about when my beautiful, lovely Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. Sorry, Derek, again, I'm sorry. They defeated the Patriots. I was on cloud nine. There was nothing that was going to hurt me that week. No report. I was ready. My dad's like, you want to go to Philly and watch the parade? I'm like, let's go. Me, my dad, and my son, we were dancing in streets, acting a fool. Why? Because we won. Yet the church walks around like we've been defeated. We've not been defeated. The enemy is defeated. He's under your feet. He's under your feet. And there's no weapon formed against you that shall prosper. So, this may feel like a rah-rah message. It really isn't. All it is is just the word presented to you to let you know who you are. Thank you so much for listening to Southview Church. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multicultural, multi-generational, Holy Spirit-filled and led community. We believe that who the Son sets free is truly free. If you would like to connect with us further, check us out at southview.cc. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.